Hello and welcome to the Human and Machine podcast. My name is Yaku. Um, I'm here with my new host, co-host. Lenny is on leave this week. I'm here with Tabelo Masedi. Uh, Tabelo is part of our team here. It's lovely to have you on the podcast, Tabelo. Thank you, Yaku. Excited to be here. It's going to refer to you as Tebe. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Tabelo feels what... very formal. Yeah. Um, so Tabella is part of our team here at Element 8 um, and Lenny has, has taken some leave. If you missed last week's episode, it was with um, Christopher Clark from ABMBF. It was episode 23. It was about the Brewery, brewery of the Future initiative. Um, really great conversation with Chris, who's the tech supplier lead for the Africa Zone at ABMBF. Um, just about some of the goals and objectives of the Brewery of the Future initiative, which obviously is all about productivity and, and, and driving sustainability, but also very importantly, a focus on the human element um, and some of the things that they've put in place to ensure that their people are ready to adapt new technology and, and uh, improve the process. So that was a really good chat with, with Chris last week. And uh, on the topic of people, we, we, we have spoken over the last couple of episodes, we've spoken about some of the challenges that we have in our industry, um, or specifically in manufacturing. And, and one of the sort of reoccurring themes that come out of a lot of conversations is about skills and skills shortages and availability of people. And um, while there is a recognition or at least an agreement um, that we need to be preparing the next generation um, of people um, specifically around STEM and the STEM uh, field, um, it goes a little bit beyond that, in our opinion at least. Um, and we feel that diversity and inclusion um, is, is a topic that also needs to be addressed um, at a little bit of a higher priority than, than what it has been. So on the topic of STEM, by the way, if you remember our conversation that we had in episode 14 with Sunele Goba, um, who is the founder of Oso Sciency, um, and just her passion for um, just igniting interest and, and love for, for anything STEM uh, within youngsters. That, that, was, that was a lovely episode as well. So for this one specifically, for this episode, we're really excited to be speaking with Devendri Ankia. Uh, Devendri is an engineer, um, first and foremost, no, not first and foremost, he's a, he's a wife and a mom, uh, first and foremost, but also an engineer who's currently with a global multinational engineering business based down in the Western Cape. Um, and yeah, Tebe, just somebody that we have an enormous amount of respect for. Mm -hmm, and definitely. we've known Devendri for many years. I yes, think. yes. Yeah. Couple of years, uh, a lot of respect for Devendri. It's it's um, she's a woman whose whose opinion is always valued and and seeked uh, um, uh, sought out. So yeah, we're looking forward to chatting with Devendri today. Um, it's always good to, to catch up and chat with good people. And welcome to the Human and Machine Podcast, Devendri. Hi Yaku. Hi Tebe. Thanks for inviting me. I'm actually excited to be here and chat with you guys. Fantastic. You're, you you're in Cape Town. So it's it's a yes. <laughs> Lovely. I am place. actually in the Western Cape. We're very Indian. It's always been my dream to live by the coast. <coughs> it's a fantastic place. It's um, we also it feels like there's a lot of innovation, a lot of a lot of good stuff happening down in the Western Cape, um, at least from our perspective. Mm -hmm. I would uh, agree. There's definitely a lot happening in the Western Cape. I think. Um, especially on the innovation side, um, maybe Western Cape, we're late at the party, but now that we're there, we're kind of more eager and more excited. <laughs> and that's absolutely fine. It's not whether you're late, it's whether you, uh, how you finish. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so Devendri, we've, we've got a couple of things we would love to get your opinion about today and just, just chat about, but maybe maybe to start it off with um, just your background, you, you're certainly not a, a youngster in the industry. Um, oh, I didn't just say that you're old, you're certainly not old, but you're not a, you're not a junior in our industry. You've, you, you, you're a very um, established engineer, you've been in the industry for a, for a couple of years now. Um, maybe let's kick it off with where it started for you um, in terms of sort of a youngster, uh, you wanted to become a doctor or a lawyer or a, or a fireman, I don't know. Um, where, where did your journey as, as far as being an engineer start? I think my initial aspiration was a hairdresser and a mechanic. I know it's two different things. Uh, my dad was a mechanic and uh, my brother was an auto electrician. So, I mean, on a typical afternoon or weekend, it was normal to help my dad fix cars. Uh, there were a few times when we were out and about um, maybe having a bit fun and lying to our parents about where we were really going and then the car wouldn't start and uh, being a mechanic's daughter I didn't need to call home for help in our high heels and uh, yeah outside a club my cousin pops the hood and we sorted the car out ourselves so I think I was very lucky I grew up in an environment where you could still be daddy's little princess but you were also taught oh and it wasn't like um an actual activity to learn how to change a tire or figure out what's going on in your car. It was just one of the things you did. I haven't changed a tire in years. I don't know if I'll be able to tell you. Unfortunately, very recently. Yeah, that's fantastic. So, I mean, that's as a, as a young as a young girl, I suppose, um, uh, and like many of us as youngsters, we have these wild um, romantic aspirations of what we want to become. Um, yeah. And very often, very often, it ends up being something totally different to what we end up doing. Um, but that combination of headrest and, and, and mechanic is, <laughs> is, a, is, a, is a new one. Is a new one to me. And then you, yeah. you, you obviously finished school, and then um, university so, was Johannesburg, or home was uh, family home was Johannesburg. Actually, it was KZN. So KZN. I um, finished school. I took a gap year and. Uh, decided that I was going to study computer science. Uh, at school, it was the one subject I never got below 98%. It's a badge I wear very proudly. I can't say the same for the rest of the subjects. And so, <laughs> you know, everybody was like, you, all your teachers were, you're so good at computer science and logic and programming and maths that you should absolutely go into uh, do a BSc in computer science. So that was my first choice. And uh, when I was filling uh, the application forms in, they told me, no, you have to put a second choice. And electrical engineering was the second choice, but it was the first thing I got accepted for. And there was a computer science option. So I took it. And uh, I think it's just, you know, uh, my background is that whatever you do, first choice or not, you give it your 100%. And uh, to be quite honest, I, I've always enjoyed my field. I Now that we're talking about it, the first time I programmed an IC, I was actually in primary school. My brother was doing technical electronics and he brought home these ICs and we got a, you know, those marshmallow egg houses. So for show yeah. and tell, I don't know if anyone remembers doing show and tell at school. Yes. So we yeah. used a breadboard with an IC and we connected some LEDs to this marshmallow house and pretend created our own alarm system. So I think indirectly, I've always been kind of working in this field. And it was only in university, there was this conscious decision that I'm working towards the engineering field. And then when I started my career, it was actually at one of the breweries 
Fantastic. where I got to to do a little bit of everything. And I am so grateful that that's where my career started. I think it gave me a proper foundation of how the different elements in a typical manufacturing plant fits together. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think your point about being grateful that, that your career started there, we've had uh, so many people echo that. And I think a lot of people that we've spoken to who were able to start their careers at, at breweries, um, uh, specifically back in that time, South African breweries, they all speak yeah. very, very highly of that initial experience as well as the culture um, yes. and how that was a, an incredible stepping stone for their careers. And a lot of those people are still there. They've never left. <laughs> um, so so that, was, that was your introduction to the world of, to the world of manufacturing. It was, it was a beer house. Yes, and, and it's not because we were making beer. <laughs> <laughs> um, just on your experience, um, were there any um, specific influences in terms of your choice of, of occupation or field of study? Or, um, any, any encouragement or discouragement um, or any, any strong views around that from anybody? I think this field kind of chose me partly because of my brother and father who introduced me to the field. So I think uh, subconsciously I was always gravitated to this field and uh, they they kind of treated the, you know, the boys and girls in the family equally. So that sort of laid the foundation that uh, just because you're a girl, you it didn't mean that this field was not an option for you. So I was always encouraged to do whatever I want. And I think having people kind of imply that girls won't be as good was probably all the justification I needed to prove people wrong. I think when I was younger, um, I, I think I liked challenges. So I gravitated to things that were supposedly difficult. Engineering's not that difficult. If I think if you're just someone who likes a logical environment, then it's the place you should be. Uh, so in that sense, it's not difficult. Uh, there's definitely moments when you're trying to solve problems that you sit there and feel like pulling your hair out. But the reason we do it, and I'm sure most engineers are like this, that moment, that moment when you figure something out, that's the moment that, that makes it all worthwhile. That's why you want to be in this field. Yeah, yeah. yeah for sure. I know, I know Lenny always um, speaks of engineers um, is, is more about the want and the desire to figure something out um, and, to, and to learn, continuously learn. It's more yes. about that than just being simply a technical person. It's, it's that want and yes. that need and that desire to learn and figure things out. Yeah, and perhaps you get at the end of it all. Yes. The reward yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, it, they are right, the darkest hour is... Uh, no, wait, how does it go? The darkest hour is before the dawn. And it's usually yes. that point when you're like, I've tried everything and you try that one last thing and then it works. So I think one of the roles I had was a solutions <coughs> architect and it's probably an, a solutions architect and also in sales. The reason I absolutely love what I do is you're constantly looking for solutions. You're looking at doing what, you know, whatever's being done, but just do it a little better. And I think typical engineers, um, we may not necessarily fix, attempt to fix what's not broken, but it's about continuously being better, finding better ways to do things, solving problems. And I think that's the draw to this field. Yeah, definitely. You, you've mentioned solution specialists. I think you pointed it out. Um, I can't remember what your comment was earlier. You said 
something about the variety of different yes. areas that Devendri has been involved in? Yes. So what I wanted to know from you, Devendri, is um, looking at your history or your <laughs> LinkedIn profile <laughs> and through talking to each other over the years, um, I was looking at the variety of kind of jobs that you've had, which basically touch on most of the main or the most um, skills that people would go through in the automation space or in the manufacturing space, right? So I just wanted to know from you, um, how, do they, how did you progress through them, first of all? Um, was it a conscious decision to just move to the next one or, you know, in the, in the space, basically, how did you go through it? So, to be Without honest, even mentioning exactly which role you got. <laughs> okay. yeah. So if you picture that diagram, I think it's the ISA 95 triangle mm. where you start literally on the shop floor. I feel my career has progressed in the same way. I literally mm. started on the shop floor, running cables, doing trunking, drilling to put the trunking on the wall. So that's literally where I started. And this is why I say I'm so grateful because I believe starting there gave me that solid foundation. And uh, before getting married and having kids and you have, I think you're almost like a sponge. You want to do everything, learn everything. You've mm. got lots of time and energy. It was a good place to be. But uh, seriously, as you get older, you don't really want to be doing field service or r running cables. But the importance of doing it is, uh, even if you do it for a little while, it gives you an understanding of how that part of the world works. Mm. And as time went by, I've always gravitated to software. I think having a strong programming background, it's just a place I feel comfortable in. Mm. So as, as I evolved in my career, it was a combination of going eventually to the thing that I think I'm best at, and that's in the software space, but also as a mom. Um, Working, um, doing technical support and field service doesn't actually work when you've got kids and you need to be home at a certain time because not just because you want to have dinner with your family, but when your kids are a little younger, they just want cuddles all the time. So <laughs> as, as I've evolved, I'm now in sales. So I still get to spec solutions. I still get to be quite involved in my field, but it's a little less physical. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the you mentioned the, the the mom part, which is obviously not a not a not something uh, that falls by the wayside. It's it's a significant part of your life as being a mom, and um, you maybe looking at the last year with with COVID, for example, um, it feels like it's just draining energy just talking about it and the impact that it's had on on so many people, and then everybody working from home, and you are typically at home with. The entire family is at home, kids are at home, people are trying to continue working, uh, trying to continue doing what they would do ordinarily, but everybody's in the house, kids running around. Um, it, that, that was quite challenging for a lot of people and it feels like in certain industries and in certain companies, it obviously depends on, on uh, the business and the culture within those companies. It was, it was recognized as we're all human, um, most of us, some of us are parents and, and it was okay where others were a little bit less accepting of the, I can't jump on a call right now because my, I have my kids running in, in, in the background screaming. Um, it, was quite a, it was quite a tough time during COVID last year. What, what, what typically in your household, how did, you, how did you navigate around all of the 
distraction that you typically wouldn't have in the office? So I think COVID was a little extra for us because we also moved houses four times during COVID because we were in the Western Cape and our house in Johannesburg was not sold. So we had to come back, sell it, come to a rental property, then move into our house. And I can tell you, uh, COVID kids and working and never leaving the house, it's I, I think it's resilience training. That's all I'm going to put it down to. You know, it's like it tests you. Even if you're a glass half full person, you do get tested. And uh, there are moments when you think whatever teachers get paid, we should double it. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because for those few hours, <laughs> they have your kids. But for us, I think the moving was probably the hard part. Uh, my role, I've already been working from home. So I've already had a fairly a fair amount of experience in um, prioritizing my time and sort of putting together my own schedule. I think it's something most moms have to do anyway, but it helped to have a job that already prepared me for it. I was lucky in that my kids were already in a school that used iPads. So they were already using Google Classroom. And uh, I actually do remember having this conversation in the office. And I think at this time, Tabello was probably around. And I was trying to decide, do I use a school that's uh, forward thinking with technology? It's probably one of the best decisions I made. I knew that. Uh, you know, being in this field, I also wanted my kids to sort of, even if they don't choose to be engineers, they I, I don't think my daughter's going to be an engineer. I think uh, she's probably going to be a singer or something of the sort. Uh, Not a hairdresser or a mechanic. <laughs> yeah. So we were lucky. Um, we also got to uh, participate in a cooking show, which she won. And uh, she oh, wow. did not get those skills from me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so during COVID, I think you learn a lot of things. You learn to prioritize what's really important. You kind of question everything, your career, your family, where you live, where you spend your time. And uh, I think COVID allowed us to do that. It allowed us to pause, look at life, what's valuable, even consider your career, is this where I want to be? For me, uh, I think it reinforced the, especially when you're working on solutions and you're still able to use technology, it reinforced this idea of encouraging people to go the technology route. I mean, there's absolutely nothing wrong with hairdressers. I love my hairdresser. Mm. Um, There's nothing wrong with singers, accountants. I mean, if you're in an Asian family, hairdressing, by the way, is not an option. You can become a doctor, lawyer, engineer. (laughs) But there's absolutely nothing wrong with any other field. But being in the technology space, I think you almost feel to an extent a little more in control of your life especially during covid it you felt comfortable using the medium that you needed to connect with the outside world yeah yeah for sure and um, did you did you also find um just being at home generally speaking it feels like we typically work a lot more and a lot harder you know the um it's almost like as if your typical business or office hours sort of faded away slowly and all of a sudden you'd find yourself still working at 10, 11 o'clock at night. Um, that is true. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's actually, um, it was a little bit more tiring than, than what you would typically, what it typically would be in an office environment. And we do get that, we do hear that from a lot of people that we've spoken to, um, is that fatigue that, um, that we all felt being not only stuck at home, but just working a lot harder while st- being stuck at home. 
Mm, there was an extent of that, but I felt that um, working, I kind of got to reschedule my day. So it's almost like you start the day off with a bang and you would do a whole lot of things. And then you kind of could take a break in the middle of the day and focus a bit on your kids and have that family time. Mm. So if I did put my laptop on at 7.30 when the kids went to bed, it was guilt-free because I had that uninterrupted time with my family. So I, I don't know if anyone's been doing this before COVID, but I'm sure a lot more people are doing it now. I think uh, just learning to reevaluate and also reschedule your day. Like it doesn't need to be eight to four or five. It's okay to take a break in between. And especially in the role I am, it's not time-based, it's outcome-based. So it worked for me. I don't think it would have worked for everybody, but it definitely worked for me because I could do stuff at the time that worked best for me. Um, yeah. yeah, but COVID's definitely been challenging, but overall I felt that uh, um, maybe having a young family, we've moved around a lot. We've lived in different countries. So I think we already had this uh, uh, adapt and carry on kind of attitude, which helped. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I wanted to ask you about, uh, before I do, I want to ask you about your experience in Dubai. I know you spent a little bit of time, um, or not a little bit of time, I think it was at least a year in Dubai. Um, I, I love there for six years. Six, was it six years? Oh, wow. I didn't realize it was that long. Six years. I remember you mentioning Dubai. I didn't realize it was that long. Um, but I love what you said about um, the quality time aspect. And I think very often when people speak about, think about balance, they perceive work-life balance as a, as a nine to five and a, and a five to nine. And, and they, they sort of try to limit it between those, those boundaries almost. I don't think that's realistic. I don't believe that's realistic. We all know it's not. Um, and then you sort of take the next step and you think, all right, maybe perhaps balance is not necessarily the ability to control the time that I start or finish, um, but at least in making time available where I've missed out. And even that sometimes, despite our best efforts, doesn't happen either. And um, the, the quality time aspect, I think, that you mentioned is so important because whether it's, yes. whether it's half an hour or an hour or even just 10 minutes, uh, to be present during that time that you have is far more valuable than having more time, but you're not really present and it's not really quality time. Um, yes, I agree. Yeah. So like, just to reiterate that, like, uh, instead of being in the office and only leaving at five o'clock, I was now taking lunch with my kids. And yeah. to be quite honest, it almost re uh, energizes you because you've been busy, then you take time where it's just you and your family, and you're focused on them. So when you come back to your work, it's almost like you've had a chance to de-stress. You can refocus and you can do it guilt-free, especially as a mom. I think the one thing we carry around a lot with us is guilt. Are we doing enough for our families? Are we doing enough for our children? And uh, allowing us uh, you know, the opportunity to work out our timing, it's easier to create a work-life balance. Mm. Do, do you feel that, that guilt that you mentioned, um, do you... Yeah, how do I how do I phrase this? Do you do you is is that a conversation that you would have with your with your friends as a mom? You would naturally feel that you almost feel guilty for not um, being the the very archaic and traditional mother figure all the time. 
Um, is, is that the kind of guilt that you're referring to or, or specifically a having a career? So there is a little bit. You almost feel like... Um, so in between, there, I did take a few years off to be a full-time mom. Mm. And somebody once used the line, kids these days, I don't know where they pick it up from. But if you're always in their face, you know exactly where they pick it up from. So, That's a good point. So, so yes, there was that part. But as they've grown older, they don't need me as much. So the guilt is not as much. But there's always in the back of your mind, like, you know, um, let's be honest, we take we do more takeaways. Um, we yeah. buy more, uh, more stuff where you're, you know, it's almost like meal kits or whatever. I mean, the ideal you would think of is uh, freshly grown veggies from the backyard. I think this is probably all modern day working parents. It's yeah. like the you want to give your kids the absolute best, but in reality, you probably need some sort of compromise. And what I learned is, yes, there's always going to be a certain degree of guilt that am I spending enough time with them? Am I checking up on them? Am I uh, enabling them to be the best versions of themselves mm. but along the way I realized that having my own career makes me a good model for them it shows them to dis be disciplined to prioritize your work and uh, also like a lot of people uh, realized during COVID don't underestimate what stay-at-home moms go through no mm. matter how much we love our families being with them 24 7 requires special skills <laughs> going to work yeah. is almost like a like a little side holiday <laughs> it requires patience and its own resilience <laughs> yeah and i think <coughs> being a mum uh, i've learned is probably where i learned to deal with difficult people because i have two amazing children but sometimes they can be headstrong i and and there's moments when you almost don't know what to do, but you still have to be civil. You still have to treat them nicely. You still have to grow the relationship. And I think that teaches you how to deal with difficult customers. Absolutely. Um, from my side, I just wanted to understand, um, Divendri, so with what's been happening with, uh, with COVID, right, and the technologies that we've been forced to now adopt as our day-to-day -day, um, tools, right? Um, and with the history you have in the industry, do you feel like, um, do we have space to, for women in, in specifically to, to be more involved in those roles that are traditionally forcing you to, to work at nine to five? So is it more, um, especially women who have children, right? The, the stereotype is that women who have children can't work in those kind of jobs. Um, do you think that with all these technologies, can we expect to, or can we, will it, open up the space for more women to come in. I mean, I've had, the, I've been fortunate enough to Absolutely. work with women and like you as one of the, 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 the special ladies in my life or women in my life, um, I just want to know, um, yeah, basically, where can we expect to see or do you think we can expect to see more women coming in those traditional men roles or traditional demanding time-wise roles? Absolutely, because mm. the technology enables us to be connected. I think once upon a time, if your if your child was sick, it would be, uh, you know, you would have to stay at home, take sick leave or, or whatever leave. But the technology means um, I can still be connected. I can still use Zoom or Teams or whatever to connect with my uh, colleagues. Mm. And I think... Um, 
COVID allowed a lot of people to embrace technology. I think the tools were always there. You had some people call them early adopters that were, especially people in the technology space, were using the technology to make it work for their lives. And um, I think COVID forcing us to use technology to connect allowed us to see that actually a lot of people can work from home, even, even in typical admin jobs. You can still have your sick kid next to you because mm. sometimes when your child's ill, they don't need anything except you to physically mm. be next to them. Mm-hmm. And I think definitely, this is definitely, there's definitely room. Uh, this is definitely going to make it a lot easier f- to be female, to have a family and still be fairly dedicated to your job. Mm. Okay, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. I've always, uh, because I'm, I'm a single guy and I, I live alone. I mean, I never think of those kind of things. I, I'm yeah. used to all of it. No, so, it's, it's a good point because being a parent, being a parent adds that mm. extra complexity. But then, you know, some of the traditional um, challenges as a woman, I'm guessing, um, mm. is that you are the traditional caretaker figure, mm. and some of the guilt that you referred to earlier, Devendri, is is the one aspect, and the other aspect is that in in in, I would imagine that in certain uh, uh, people's minds, that's that's still how it should be, mm. um, and yes. how it is still perceived. So you have the additional challenge of not only your own feelings towards you having a career and enjoying your career, but also still people believing that you know you should be the primary caretaker of the children, which is which is absolutely today in twenty twenty one not the case anymore. Yeah, that is still true. I I think. Um, Becoming a working mom, I learned to use a support system to take care of certain tasks like house cleaning and stuff like that, and maybe assisting with meal preparation. Yeah. Uh, my kids are getting a bit older, so they don't need so much of hands-on. Uh, but having a, a sort of job where I can focus on the outcome of what I need to deliver and work around my time so that I can prioritize has definitely helped. Yeah. So I think if anybody wants to come into this field, when you're young and single guy, single girl, and no family, it's very easy to sit from the early hours of the morning to the late hours at night because you're so ex- you're so engrossed in what you're doing mm. that you know it's not difficult. I'm sure everybody here has uh, stories of maybe they happily sat till one, two in the morning working on something because it had all your attention. You can survive without eating, you know. Except in COVID, then you're always at the fridge. But it's like, (laughs) but yeah, you know, it's like I'm I'm sure most of you can relate to this. And then, then your family comes along, and then you have to reprioritize. So that does become difficult. Uh, But um, eventually, I think, you you know, I I don't mind anyone saying that I'm older or been in the field for a while. I believe. getting older gaining experience is actually a good thing and uh, it it kind of teaches you so many things so um, I remember fairly early in my career someone told me there's two things you need to survive in this world either the education to do your job or the experience so I've got the education part I'm quite glad to be getting the experience part because as time goes by I've just learned to focus on what's important and that alone has made my life so much easier yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's understanding what is actually, um, at the risk of sounding like a stoic, it, it's, it's the understanding of what is important and what you can control um, and, you and, and, and focusing on how you react to the stuff that you can control. Mm. Um, and, yep. and 
unfortunately, I think most of us only learn that really late in our in our lives. If we if we realised that a little bit earlier, um, we we would have saved ourselves a lot of stress. <laughs> um, I, I wanted to I wanted to chat to you about something Atebe mentioned about stereotyping. Um, I don't want it to be a tough conversation, but um, again, you 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 are a woman. You've been in our industry. We have a lot of respect for you and your opinion um, on the topic of stereotyping. If we if we talk about diversity and um, more specifically, uh, I think diversity is understood. We need yes. we need more women. We need more um, uh, people from different parts of our of our communities. We need more. Not even millennials. Uh, what's what's uh, Gen Z? Gen Z. <laughs> uh, that's that's coming through now. Uh, in in a manufacturing and in in industrial automation world that is potentially not the most romantic or attractive industries, we need yes. to get more of more of those people in the industry, um, and we need to attract more. Um, so I think the diversity part is understood, um, but for me it's more about the inclusion part, um, yep. and that I think that's that's a cultural challenge or a cultural aspect the inclusion. Um, you know, it's 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 having a culture of that, not even being a consideration, but an absolute must, or having a culture of not really wanting to embrace that, and that will probably differ from from person to person and organization to organization. This is absolutely true. Um, working in South Africa, uh, traveling to Italy, Germany, spending a considerable amount of time in Dubai, it does change a bit. Um, from country to country, company to company as well. Uh, there's definitely maybe a small percentage of people that may look at females and almost think, can you know, like, are you here for, for what? You know, it's like, uh, did you enter the field because you're trying to uh, ride on the diversity wave where you, are you getting the position because you're female and we're filling a quota? Mm. In the South African landscape, maybe there might be some truth to that. I hope not because it's actually an insult to the females that chose this field. Mm. Uh, outside South Africa, I know that that played very little role in it, in me getting the positions I did. Uh, but just something I'd uh, come across uh, a few days ago where the percentage of engineers when I started studying was something like 16%, and now we're probably about 25%. Mm. So I think a lot of work has been done. We're definitely yeah. going in the right direction. So mm -hmm. from the, you know, a lot of companies are focusing on diversity. So there are females in the space and people have embraced us. Uh, one particular client of mine said that uh, when he met me as the new um, sales person in the region he was so glad it was a female and I was like okay yeah. he says because <laughs> which was which was absolutely surprising he says because the females that chose this field and uh, we know we, they know one thing that you chose it because you want to be here it's not like somebody in your family pushed you in this direction you yeah. chose engineering because you actually enjoy the field you have a passion for it you probably like logical environments you like the technology aspects so that alone makes you want to be better and the second part which is not the very pretty part there is an aspect where you almost have to work twice as hard uh, i don't know what it's like in other fields but to prove that you belong here mm. so I, I don't know if how it feels for new engineers but certainly when i started there were many times where I feel like I was put in positions to almost test me, like, will you survive? Mm. And uh, whenever I realized it was a test sort of environment, it actually 
encouraged me. For sure. And, you know, I think uh, I'm just that sort of person. I like challenges. Generally, look at the glass half full. So yes, mm -hmm. uh, if you are female and you come into the field, mm -hmm. it is not the prettiest of environment. Uh, I mean, if you are going onto most sites, you're clothing or your dress is dictated by the safety requirements so yeah. there's that aspect you know the ppe whatever you're using also the practical side like uh, no matter how awesome your boots are you cannot use it into most plants you have to wear safety shoots, yeah. shoes yeah. so there's that part um but that doesn't mean you have to stop being a female i think the first part of my career i almost dressed like a tomboy to be taken seriously Thankfully, things have changed or maybe I have changed and I don't really care anymore because I think I've earned my place here. So yeah. so if I felt like wearing bright pink, I do. And I don't <laughs> care too. And the reason why I think I'm thinking of bright pink, I, I was probably um, uh, maybe four years into my career and I was doing an audit at an automotive company. And you have a, a sort of time between 12 and 2 in which the lines stop and you can go in and do your work. And it was freezing cold. So even though I was wearing the branded jacket of the company I worked for, there was one point that I was just so cold. I went to the car and I got this pink jersey. It just so <laughs> happened it was a pink jersey. And I'm not on such a big pink fan. And I put it mm -hmm. on, I get into the line. And because the Ethernet cables are sort of like running in between everything, you're like literally in the middle of these CNC machines. And I could hear somebody screaming in the background because he was like what are you guys doing here and whatnot i didn't realize he was speaking to me he thought someone got their girlfriend to and i was happily going about i had headphones out on i was listening to my music happily doing my audit and getting on with life and so yes you do every now and then people wonder um, but i would say times have changed that was probably true for my early career i think the inclu inclusivity side has definitely changed uh, yeah. people have realized that females have something to bring to uh, the environment uh, a different way of thinking a different mm -hmm. approach and uh, i think our, our our industry has progressed to the point where you can be female and be here and still rock you know it's it's if you put in the effort i think in any field you can still still do well and uh, but don't be uh, don't have blinkers on you your clothing in most fields in manufacturing you can't wear the latest fashion when you're going to work you probably <laughs> wear shoes tb and i would know nothing about that <laughs> <laughs> you know what there's something simple like now that we're on zoom and everybody's like you know they'll they'll probably instead of waking up early and uh, getting dressed and driving to work they can wake up at 10 to 8 and still be on work on time and actually it's not true for most girls we still need to do our hair and makeup Davindri <laughs> 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 uh, I think you were right about um, when you said it's probably you uh, that changed um, I think you're right it was you but it, it's not I don't think it was change I, 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 at least I don't believe that people change I, I believe that they grow and you and and to get that growth, you need to you need to go through a process of of breaking breaking something down and rebuilding it stronger or better than what it was previously. Um, so you're right; it's probably your own views that have changed because of the way that you have grown. Um, because yeah. if if it was change, it would be simple; it would be overnight. Um, that that's why it was growth more than change. Um, 
And I'm so happy. I'm so happy that you can that you can be vulnerable about that and and be open about that, because I think it's so important for young women engineers. We we have in our office we 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 have a, a young woman engineer. And to your point, we've we've noticed many more um, young female engineers, and it's so important for them to hear that and to understand that. Um, you know, it's not going to be, you, you, you have your own internal struggles around what you should be based on common old popular belief and perception. You not only have that, then you also have potentially in certain environments still the, the, the requirement to prove yourself. Um, yep. And that's tough. That is really tough. But I think it helps you grow um eventually you know it's something you'll just get over like maybe the first time you interact with someone they'll think you're the secretary taking notes and then they realize actually you're the engineer here to do the work (laughs) (laughs) that's terrible And, uh, I think overall, in any field, whatever you choose, it will never. Nothing comes easy, and uh, you have to start somewhere. I would always recommend to anybody in the field, or actually any field, the first year or two of your career, just remember that that qualification gave you a ticket into the field. You don't know all the answers. That's when you respond. That's when you can get down and like you know in the trenches and and sort of while you're in the sponge phase do as much as you can take in as much as you can immerse yourself into the field my general rule for most things is two years if it doesn't work out by two years it's not happening whether it's moving to a new country uh, a new anything uh, two years is if you haven't made it by then it's not happening (laughs) so but yeah i think i if i look at my career that First, first year, I would say, was the most important, but let's mm-hmm. say two years, where you really learn the most about your field, and that's where you have to build that foundation, and this is true of any field. Yeah, and I, I think you're 100% are, uh, on spot on about the experiences, and maybe... Mm. Maybe the, the thing about diversity is that when we think about it, we think about it in the, in the sense of, of race and gender. And I think um, to go beyond that, um, it's more about diversity in terms of the experiences that we've been through. And that's the reason why we need to have a, a, a diverse workforce with regardless of race or gender or age, but diverse just um, in, in the sense of what we bring as, as part of the experiences that we've had, because we've all had different experiences and different journeys to where we are now together as a team, for example. Mm-hmm. And that's, that, is a, that is a great benefit that you get from diversity is you get all of those life and career experiences um, and that molds a lot of, of, of your culture as a, as a business and as a team. Mm. And um, it's always something that shows, right? yes. especially in my short time, of being in the industry, you can definitely yes. see when it's a device of group. It's a device group of people. You can definitely feel that, yeah. you know, um, there's that spirit of openness. Yeah, I can definitely say that. Yeah, and, and you will you will only have that culture, that that understanding if you are a diverse group, mm-hmm. and you appreciate where everybody's been and what they've been through, and 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 the value that they bring as part of that experience. Mm. Yeah, uh, definitely. I do agree. It's very important working in a diverse environment because all your clients are not like you. So working in a device te- a diverse team also helps you better understand and relate to your customers. Uh, you know, when you go out and see them. 
Mm. Yeah. Mm. My, um, my, my daughter, um, uh, we, we were chatting last night and we were talking, she, she's studying, to be, she's studying uh, education. She wants to be a um, foundation phase teacher. And uh, the topic of the Fortune 500 list came up. And I think the Fortune 500 list um, of the top 500 companies, I think that was first published 65 years ago, if I remember the, the, the article correctly. Um, and f over the past 65 years, the number of female CEOs um, in 65 years increased from, I think it was two, one or two or three, less than five, to now 37. So it has taken, 60, it has taken 65 years, um, but um, it, it's still not quite half, half, half there. And anyway, so we, we were having this discussion and it was on the back of, of our conversation that we're having now. And I was telling her that, that uh, we're doing a podcast today and we, we're hosting you and we're gonna, I wanna chat about some diversity and things. And she said, well, dad, how do you know that those women want to be um, the CEOs of companies? Um, I actually just wanted to t uh, touch on that because yeah. I there's a blog I saw something about uh, the non-adventures or something of someone. Sorry, yeah. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> we won't reference that. <laughs> Don't Google that. <laughs> okay. So the, the thing was, you know, it's also okay to choose not to be a CEO or a COO and to choose exactly. a less ordinary life. There's absolutely nothing wrong with being a stay-at-home mom or a engineer in the sales field or the CEO. And yeah. I think uh, what's really nice about the time we're living in now is there's not, I think, the generation before me was fighting to get in just so we could have a seat at the table yeah but i'm hoping well i feel we're at the point where the seat is there and now i have the choice if i want to take it or not and uh, that's probably the best place to be because mm. if you you sort of pursue the rule r that role it's because you absolutely want it not just because yeah. you want to change it for your daughters or the people coming up after you Exactly. So I'm I'm glad to hear that we've made progress, and uh, I also think that you know what, if you don't want to be the CEO, it's still yeah. okay. Yeah, hundred percent. And it's important for for young women to understand that that there isn't there is no pressure to your point that you should now be an engineer or you should be. You may still be absolutely whatever it is that you that you want to be. Um, it should just be easier. Um, to achieve what that may be than what it has been historically. Mm -hmm. um, and there shouldn't be any reason why it should be more difficult um, for you to do that. Um, I think working with great people like yourself and Tabello has definitely helped change the landscape, change the thinking. Yeah. Having uh, been embraced and given the tools I need is really what I needed to be good at my job. Yeah. And I think that uh, it's not just... Um, that females have entered the field, that that guys have actually come to the party and embraced <laughs> our presence and realized that it isn't a, you're a female or a male engineer, but rather to look at you as an engineer. Mm -hmm. So yeah. having exactly. been to a few different countries, the first thing you would um, notice is there's a, a language sort of barrier, maybe a cultural barrier, but 99% of the time, once you start technology, speaking technology, the barriers disappear. Yep. And that's what I've found being female in this field, that uh, really you, 
you kind of need to know your stuff. Unfortunately for females, there is no half measures. You can't just be average. You you really have to be that person of excellence. Mm. You should. Everybody should do it, but there's a little more pressure on you as a female that you absolutely need to know your stuff. And mm. that point when you start t- talking technology and you actually know you, what you're talking about is when everything else falls away. Nobody actually looks at you your outward appearance, but looks at what you can bring to the table in terms of your experience and knowledge of the technology or whatever it is you're working on. Absolutely. Mm. The the other stuff becomes irrelevant as it should be. Yeah. Um, I, I remember you chatting, um, I hope you don't mind us speaking about this. I remember you speaking very passionately about um, the cyber junkyard um, initiative that you were, I think you were the project manager of um, yes, there was. Of the entire cyber junkyard, and maybe the, the, the engineers that have been that have been around for a couple of years will remember that incredible initiative that aimed to just, I, I suppose, not even ignite, but really just excite uh, students. So, and I'm actually excited that I'm working on an initiative to restart it, uh, not necessarily in the way in the manner it was, because. Okay. As, as, I think during COVID when I was sort of uh, reviewing or like, you know, thinking about my life and the places where I felt that I made the most impact, Cyber Junkyard, without doubt, was from my career point of view, was without doubt one of my highlights. Yeah. And I think I think it was a quote by Mandela, but please don't quote me about the way <laughs> the way you the the best way to change a person's journey or projection is education. And that is true because there's one thing that no one can ever take away from you is your knowledge. And I think if you if you want to truly make an impact in the world, that is one way you can do it. There's a charity I work with and they've got this big mural of, of the African continent and they have the scripture, feed a man for a day. Uh, no, give a man a fish and you feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish and you feed him for life. Mm-hmm. It's something that's always stuck with me because I've always felt, I remember in school when they told us the story of the apple falling on this guy's head and then he discovered gravity and I'm sitting there and thinking, oh my God, would I ever figure something like that out? <laughs> and then I realized we're all not supposed to do that, but law should leave a mark of some sort. And the one way I feel I would love my legacy to be is that I've made a concerted effort to change people's life in the better and I believe education is the way to do it. So Cyber Junkyard was an initiative um, where students were treated um, as system integrators to give them a taste of what the world is really going to be like, to basically prepare them for the world that's going to come. One of the hardest lessons you learn when you leave university is everything you learnt was really to train your thought pattern to make you approach problems in a certain way. It's it's basically giving you a ticket into the industry, but you don't know all the answers. All it's done is prepared you to handle what's going to come. Yeah. So Cyber Junkyard allowed us to take it a little further. Students got a taste of what it would be like to be a system integrator, a programmer. Um, there's so many different aspects to our field, and this particular competition gave you exposure to a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. I got to meet some of the in- uh, students, now engineers, that were in Cyber Junkyard, and I cannot tell you how nice it is that I don't really recognize everybody because I ran it for a few years, and every year it was in excess of 100 students, yeah. and people would reach out to you like, 
Divendri, do you remember me and you trained me on this or you showed me that? And I myself was in my early 20s at the time and I was basically finishing off my qualifications. And I took on Cyber Junkyard because it was a, a, a sort of initiative where there was no payment for it. It's like, do it in your own time. We'll just give you the funding and support to do it. And so um, that probably laid the foundation where there's a few charities that I, um, um, what do you call this? support mm -hmm. we with that same idea of uh, teach a man to fish and you feed him for life where it's about teaching people life skills teaching them basic technology things they can use to sort of uh go on in life yeah so yeah so cyber junkyard was definitely one of those things and i think that there are initiatives i see a lot of it on facebook and mm. uh yeah, I'm still excited because there's something that's coming on my side and this is going to be something I'm going to be running and I will definitely let everybody know once it's up and running. Fantastic. We, we're excited about that for you and, and let us know if there's an opportunity for, for us to, to be involved or, or support what, you, what you're doing. I think, uh, I think our, our community of engineers and specifically manufacturing industrial automation is a very small community. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and, and I think there has, is a lot to be, that could be done to work better together as a community, without a doubt. Um, there's, there's massive opportunities. As much opportunity as we have as a country uh, and the manufacturing opportunity that we have, there's an opportunity for us to work a lot better together as a community. Um, so that's exciting. Um, yeah, do, do let us know once, once you're ready to share what, what that's all about. I will, I will. Um, I, I quickly want to shift gears and, and just talk a little bit about the uh, manufacturing world, the industrial world. Yep. Um, okay. It's been obviously on the back of COVID, I, I would imagine the South African manufacturing uh, world, no, I would imagine we hear it every day. We, we've seen similar challenges to, to other countries. Um, there was various plants and sites and facilities that couldn't operate at all. Um, it feels like the last couple of months there's a little bit more positive sentiment. Uh, the rand dollars is looking a bit more positive. Um, it seems like there's the, some some initiatives and some budgets have, have reignited and, and started off. What is your what is your perception of of the manufacturing in in industrial world at the moment? Even if it's just from a from a Western Cape point of view. At moments, some days it's very exciting. Other days it's almost like a briani mix. You've got customers. <laughs> You've got customers who are who have used COVID to re-strategize how they're going to do stuff. They've yeah. worked on their projects. You know, all those things that they never quite got time for, people spend the time now focusing because we were not running around so much. We almost had quiet time and space to actually work on whatever it is we wanted to work on. Mm. So on that side, we have a lot of customers that are starting projects that were sort of kind of you know, going to happen now, it's happening. Yes. Uh, the, one of the biggest uh, struggles that I think especially I've come across is deliveries because yeah. the factories that would have, especially in a hardware environment, uh, the factories were not operating, which means there was only so much of stock. And as the stock got depleted, uh, yeah, we're feeling the effects now. And it, it is definitely a struggle. So some days you're uh, specking a solution, other days you're literally 
trying to work out supply chain. So there's that aspect. And then I think, you know, when people speak about each industrial revolution and what it brought, and I think when everybody talks about the fourth industrial revolution and we're talking about smart manufacturing and all these wonderful things, but the actual reality is most people didn't really embrace it until they were like sort of pushed to embrace it. And that's what COVID did. I mean, those people that didn't particularly like uh, online engagements or moving things to the cloud or uh, getting more of your stuff on your phone, the technology has been there for a while, Mm. but people are embracing it a lot more. So I feel like... uh, we, we, you know, we went through the phase where we were just automating plants. Then we were in the phase of putting down SCADA systems so that we can get visualization into the plants. Now we kind of were in the phase of making our asset life cycle increase, uh, our utilization better, uh, our maintenance better. But now with COVID, we were every, I think a lot of people were sort of excited and pushing new technology, hmm. but maybe our industry was like I said, preonymic, some people were ready and some people were just not, you know, it was, they were all over the place, but now they seem to be a more consistent across the board. People are embracing technology, you know, people who are closer to retirement, especially there's a lot of that in the Western Cape, yeah. almost didn't want to rock the boat until retirement. And yeah. that's not really the ideal space to be in. And uh, what I admire about a lot of the colleagues I've worked with is that they've always embraced. And and I think working with you guys, um, the one thing I liked whenever a new something came across, uh, people embraced it, figured it out and learned how to work with it. It actually isn't like that everywhere, but COVID has forced people to embrace technology. And then they realize it's actually not so difficult. And that opened the door to more smart manufacturing, remote monitoring, more um, cloud hosting sort of opportunities. Definitely. So it's a space I like to play in. So this has been great for me because I feel like there's more people interested in it. Definitely. It's it's definitely a a positive outcome, um, if if you want to put it that way, that that we've seen from COVID in our industry is the, the reluctance that there were previously uh, existed around new tech. Mm. You know, new tech was almost a, just introducing new tech for the sake of it. Why? Um, and I think yeah. being, being forced to adopt a lot of these things and actually understanding the value, um, that's definitely become a lot more pervasive, which is, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I think that also just the type of solutions that are coming out now that people are actually building on, it's actually... Phenomenal. Yeah. There's, and, and, you're 100% correct. The new solutions that everybody, they, I mean, technology has made it possible for so many people. We see guys, uh, I mean, I think about Kudzai, for example. Mm. Um, Kudzai from uh, Industry 4.0 TV. He's got these incredible tutorials that he, uh, uh, that he, that he does, where it's literally a r- Raspberry Pi and uh, whatever the little sort of edge device may be, and he goes all the way to in, with site-wise, and, mm. he, and he does AI stuff. Um, mm. You know, and it's it, it's become a lot easier um, for a lot of people to do that with the technology that we have available. Yeah, it's almost like the industry is being reborn in with yeah. all yes. the new solutions instead of all the old and trusted solutions. I mean, they still work, but then it's Absolutely. like we're building on top of that now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It definitely yeah. is an exciting time to be in the industry as far as tech goes. 
<laughs> yes, yes. I feel like that level of excitement people only had when they just finished university and they're super mm -hmm. excited and then like work kind of like slowly erodes it. But COVID kind of forced you to look at technology again and kind of reignited that passion to use new things, try new things, play with raspberry pies. Yeah. And that was and that was pervasive, not just in our industry, but I, I, I think about my son's school. We, you know, as a teacher, you're so used to to your point about a school that embraces technology a little bit more. But you know, you're a teacher that's in front of your class, and all of a sudden you have to do that over a webcam. Um, yes. And uh, I remember the one <laughs> class that he attended. We it was shame we could see his his one teacher. We we could see the top of his head. But but not the rest of his face. I mean, yeah, he was, you know, so so, so uh, I mean, it's a very silly but practical example of how mm. people had to pivot and they were forced to use that technology. And hopefully, all the positive benefits that uh, will remain of of using tech and and uh, it'll just make life easier and better for everyone. I could say we're all learning to eat our vegetables again. <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't eat vegetables in this office. <laughs> Um, sure, we've, we've chatted for a while. Sorry. Mm, sorry. When you were speaking about uh, schooling, I think the, f the most funny thing that I witnessed was PE over Zoom. <laughs> P oh my God, how's that done? Is that everybody in their own room or backyard and doing something? Yes, there was a combination of that. And then my son would have to do different uh, things and then sort of um, send the videos to the teachers. And uh, they created this one particular video where they pretended to be uh, sending a rugby ball, uh, like, you know, from one teacher to the student or whatever. So I think you had to go in, in a certain direction so that when they made the video, it actually looked like everybody was together. Oh, lovely. That was That's fun. Really, that's cool. So, yeah, it was funny, but it was fun because some people threw it in the wrong direction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But Definitely. Yes, I think, um, I think that it was a good move because I think uh, there was a time when it almost was only a private schools that would embrace, um, like they're a Apple certified school. So it was only schools like this that was using the technology. And, and now what's nice to see is even public schools are learning to use Google Meets, Google Classroom. Mm -hmm. And that is great because they're preparing those kids for the world that they're actually going to be living in, they're going to be working in. So mm -hmm. it was not, the best introduction the way we I don't think COVID was something anybody would have hoped for but there's a lot of positive that has come out and uh, embracing technology is definitely one of them mm, definitely and I mean as much as we we recognize the the loss of life and and all the not only that but the economic loss and the and the livelihoods that were destroyed we we absolutely have to recognize some of the positive that came out of it as well otherwise mm. It's an opportunity, a missed opportunity to learn or, or, or understand the world a bit better. And you're right, there, there is a lot, of, a lot of technology use cases that came out of COVID that is absolutely positive. Mm -hmm. um, I, I wanted to, maybe any, any advice that you have for young women either studying uh, engineering or, or uh, BSc or any, any technical field or um, maybe people, uh, young women that have just graduated, trying to find their identity and their home as, as far as a career goes. Any, any advice that you have for, for them? So um, 
one of the things that made me into this field, I think, I don't know if anyone's ever watched The Little Mermaid, and I think it was, uh, her name was Ariel, and she was mm-hmm. always needing a whatchamacallit to fix a thingamabobbin or whatever. <laughs> if you're someone like that, that you like tinkering, you like fixing, you like working out solutions, you like to get your hands in and like, you know, um, figure out how things work, um, this is absolutely the field for you. If it's something you're kind of dabbling in because you believe there's more opportunities for females or whatever else, or someone's pushing you into the field, then maybe rethink it. Um, It is like any other field, be here because you actually want to be here, because you enjoy what you're doing. You enjoy putting together solutions. You enjoy technology. You like, you know, like playing with the new things that come out and making it work. So if that's you, then 100%, this is the field. Uh, I think what's nice about it is it never gets old. I think I've been in the field for about 15 years and there's always something new happening. There's always something new to figure out. And uh, Mm -hmm. if you're hoping to study something once and then ride on that for the rest of your life, this Mm -hmm. is not the field for you. Mm -hmm. I think if you're excited and, and you kind of, maybe it keeps you young, I don't know. But if you're excited to be in a field where you're always being challenged, then yes, this is the field for you. Expect that when you first start off, it's not going to be pretty. Um, You can very easily um, enter a role where you skip certain sort of, uh, I don't know, layers, if you want to say. I would absolutely encourage you in that first year to to do everything, go and figure out how the hardware works, go and figure out how the software works, even if it looks difficult, give it a proper go, try to figure it out. This is that phase where you need to build that absolutely strong foundation for me personally uh there's two things that allowed me to re-enter the world after deciding to take i think i took a short break to be a mom was having a degree because it proved i actually kind of know what i'm doing in the field and the second thing is i had experience that i that nobody could take away from me i i knew how things work yes the technology changed so there was like a a learning curve but that learning curve is a lot more exponential because you've already built a base so uh, i think i would say in that first year try and get involved and do everything that you can while you don't have uh, kids waiting for you at home maximize it like like go dive head first and embrace your field and there's one thing that you will have to do at some point wear safety shoes but the first time you have to wear safety shoes carry three pairs of socks because you have no idea how how heavy they are and if you're somebody who's lived in uh, heels and flip-flops it is it sounds like the most ridiculous thing but one of the first hard lessons is blisters from wearing safety shoes (laughs) and um Maybe don't wear pink, bright pink jerseys when you're in a plant doing an audit. <laughs> be no, be confused think... for an intruder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think that that's something you would actually get much of now. Um, but yes, if if you're excited about technology, then go for it. I think times have changed. The numbers, I think, from most statistics show there's a lot more females. I think there's a lot of... Um, a lot of companies have put a lot of focus to open the doors for you. So if you choose to go this option, don't be average. Be be one of the better ones in your field, you know, like embrace it and always aim for excellence. 
Yeah, for sure. That's great advice, Devendri, and, and also very good advice, not just for young female engineers, but just for young people in general. Mm. Uh, great advice. Tepe, sorry, it felt like I interrupted you earlier. No, no, sorry. So, we, we were chatting yesterday about, uh, uh, we had the discussion about when do you reach the Yoda status? Um, where you, uh, you know, you, you are the provider of all answers and you know absolutely everything. And then we, we Tebe and I had this chat yesterday and it, and, and, it, and it doesn't exist, or at least as soon as you reach it, you, you're behind again the next day. So it's continuous learning. Mm -hmm. So the only upside of working on projects where you're aiming to educate people new into the industry, it helps you realize how much you've grown and how much you've learned. Because like you say, there's some days where you're like, you know what? I know the stuff. And other days you're like, oh my God, what is happening here? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I can relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it's always good to, to be working with a, with a team that's always ha that always has your back, especially during those times where you have the dips. So I think, like you said, um, um, with the industry changing and, and generally the perception of who and who does not belong, uh, belong in quotes, um, uh, that enables you to actually have that support system to say, you know what, even though I am not here today, I can actually uh, help or actually do it. And tomorrow I'll be the Yoda that <laughs> I want to be. So I think that's that's actually encouraging, especially for, for when you, are, you, you have those tips. I know everyone has them, but it's always easy to think, no, I'm the only one who's, who's yeah. going through this. And you're right, Tebe. Thank, thank, you, thank you very much, Tebe, for highlighting that, because yeah. I think uh, being in, a female in the field, when I had those moments, I almost didn't want to admit it. I'd rather go and dig deeper, look at help files, phone support, whatever. I almost didn't want to admit that I didn't know everything because I was afraid of being questioned about mm. like, should you really be here but yeah. i think you'll always have those moments and uh, that it's okay to reach out to your colleagues mm -hmm. and having the awareness to recognize when to be um uh, the student and when there's an opportunity to be to be the teacher, the teacher. Yeah. yeah yeah that's a good point cool um anything any other questions for duvenry well, i think we've, we've um, okay i've had a lot to learn from yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely happy to have had this chat with Devendri. No, for sure. It was insightful. Devendri, um, thank you so much thank for your you time. Thank you for inviting me. It, it was lovely thank catching you. up with you again. Um, it's been too long since we've last seen each other. I think we geez, we probably haven't seen each other in I don't know how many years. <laughs> but um, I'm sure one of, one of our next visits down in Cape Town, it'll be great to, to check in with you and the family again. And um, But yeah, thanks for your time. Thank you for your insights. Thank you for the, for the advice. Um, and looking forward to see your next step in terms of being part of the community. I think the community in South Africa is fortunate to have you and engineers like you. Um, and we will watch the space in terms of what next, what's next and, and on your list of uh, what you want to do to do some skills development. So we're looking forward to that. Thank you very much for inviting me, Yaku. It's definitely been uh, nice talking to you guys again. I realize how much I miss working with you guys. <laughs> opportunity that we can do stuff together, especially on, on the community projects. I'm going to touch on it a little bit. Uh, it was actually my cousin who passed away from COVID. Okay. And uh, he started a kitchen to 
to to base pro provide meals for people in disadvantaged communities so that they can get to school so that they can concentrate and the I will give you more information as it comes along and I think that's where we're planning to start that uh, not just give people the key to end the industry but also the support thank mm -hmm. you guys very much I absolutely enjoyed speaking to you um, yep that's it. Thank you. Thanks, Devin. You appreciate Thanks, it. Um, Tebe, what do we have next week? Um, we have Frenay van Sail. Yes, of course. We're continuing with um, with uh, the theme, I suppose you want to call it that. Mm -hmm. So we're chatting with Frenay van Sail. She is from SGS Mineral Services. Uh, we're going to have a chat with her about um, also a little bit about her experience, her experiences as a female engineer but most specifically also around APC solutions and what she's observing in the industry around advanced process control, where she's uh, one of the brightest people that, that I've met um, in, the, in that field. So that's on next week's episode. But as always, thank you for listening. Hope you found this discussion and conversation valuable and helpful. Um, if you have any suggestions, please send us an email at podcast at element 8. My name is Yaku. And I'm Tabello um, Maseri. Thanks for helping me out today, Tabello. And we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye.